Maybe you're here because you've run out of something to binge watch on Netflix. Maybe you're here because you're just trying to make sense of things. Whatever the reason, many have found themselves looking for answers to big questions. This is a space for honest, non-judgmental chat about some of life's real issues. And while we don't have all the answers, we're happy to ask the question, what's God got to do with it? Hi, I'm Alex. And I'm Mark. We are totally out of our depth and honestly winging it a little. But you'll be relieved to know we're drafting in experts each episode to help us out. We had the great privilege of having Jeremy McCoyd from Deeside Christian Fellowship to talk with us on the topic of suffering. A massive and a really important topic and one that we just felt couldn't be done in a single episode. So we've split that conversation into two parts of about 20 minutes long each. Uh, and this is just the first part of that conversation. I hope you find it helpful and beneficial. Um, and if anything that we discuss in this podcast does raise issues for you and you want to talk to us further, please don't hesitate to get in touch. My email is community at hebronaberdeen.org.uk or you can check us out on our website hebron-evangelical.co.uk Jeremy, it's really, really great to have you. Thank you for, for making the time to join us and to, um, to give us your, your insights and um, yeah, just share a bit of your experience on, on these um, questions that we're, we're talking about today. So the, the title that we have we've given for this episode is An All-Powerful and All-Loving God shouldn't allow COVID-19. Um, it's a nice easy one. Yeah, yeah. But before we get into that, we will do the easy question. So the first question, at least, you should know the answer to, which is uh, just just tell us a little bit about yourself. Great. Well, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I'm a teaching pastor at DSA Christian Fellowship, which is a, a church in the western suburbs of Aberdeen. Um, so I've been here for about 16 years. Um, I'm a Bible teacher, essentially. So um, I'm not kind of a professional philosopher in these things, but obviously as you're teaching the Bible um, over many years, you come across this issue of the problem of evil all the time and who God is and so on. Um, so that's the angle from which I'm coming at it. Um, yeah, I'm just a married man with three boys, 16, 14, and 9. So uh, the problem of evil at home is a regular occurrence, um, and I'm part of that problem. Um, so yes, um, I, I, I come at these questions from just a fellow traveler, um, but somebody who wrestles often with what the Bible teaches about deep and difficult to answer issues. But then life is a mystery, so we're not really dealing with the issues if we're not going deep and getting some complexity in there as well. So um, obviously as a pastor, you've um, dealt with people at probably their rawest and, and real um, pain and real elation. Um, so what ways has your job led you to encounter genuine evil or suffering or both? Yes, I mean, uh, you would think, you know, kind of a, a quiet suburb in which I live, you wouldn't see a lot, but you do. You see the whole range of, of human emotion and human experience. I, I, I visit hospitals regularly. You know, I've been with people literally on the day that they've died. Um, I was using an illustration in the sermon last week, actually, of a wonderful lady who lived, um, who was in our fellowship for years and, you know, went to see her when she was crippled with cancer. It was the day before she died. Her body was a skeleton. She couldn't move her body. Um, I remember having to take a little sponge and put it in water and kind of put it to her lips 
that's the kind of stage that she was at. And uh, it's interesting also in those situations, you see real Christian faith. And I, I find it inspiring, you know, that that lady was a delight to be with and was encouraging when she was gasping for breath. Um, I've visited children in the children's hospital and, you know, you come away from those thinking, why God? Um, when it's a really bad case for a kid, you know, children with cancer at three and four, I've seen that kind of thing. And uh, sometimes you go in and you say, I, I don't know what to say. And often you just sit there, sometimes just sitting with people and allowing them to express their frustrations, let off steam, I think sometimes is all that I can do and all that I ought to do, really. You know, part of this issue as we move into kind of the theory of God and evil is, you know, if, if somebody's right in the middle of suffering, it's very difficult to hear any kind of philosophical answers. You've just got to sit, like in the book of Job, you know, the great suffering book. Um, the only wise thing that his friends did was when they, they sat in the dust with him and shut up. They didn't say anything. It's when they opened their mouths that the problem started. So um, I, I recognize that as well. And I, I'm often feeling if I move into these very difficult, painful human situations, I don't want to come with, you know, let me give you the key Bible verse that will be the answer to your question, because there isn't one. There isn't one. Um, and often I leave it until later on when they've had time to process the pain to bring in some kind of theology to bear. So that's been my experience anyway. Yeah, that, that, that's a really helpful principle um, in dealing with this kind of pastorally. Um, even thinking of kind of the, the issue of suffering and evil, um, just from a kind of a worldview point of view, none of us can deny the existence of it. Um, but how, how do we go about measuring it? Is there a scale? Is there um, an objective kind of way of looking at the problem of, or even just the, the, the factual existence of suffering and evil in our world around about us? Hmm. Oh, it's a huge question. I mean, I don't, think, I don't think an equal amount of suffering is apportioned to each individual. And of course, how we respond as characters, we've all got different characters and there will still be certain aspects of evil that will hit me harder than others because of who I am. Um, and, you know, obviously, I mean, we were very fortunate, for example, to live in the West and have a reasonably comfortable standard of living. And uh, my parents were missionaries in Ethiopia, brought up and it was the fourth poorest country in the world in the index at the time. And they were medical missionaries. And one of the things that struck us is just the stoicism of the Africans who lived with pain that we, I, I haven't experienced in my life. And uh, their pain threshold was so much higher. So it's not as if, you know, God apportions an equal amount of suffering across the board. And of course, when we're talking about the, the, the core of the Christian message, you know, Jesus experienced suffering that I hope never to experience in my life. And it was unfair suffering in that sense. And we can come, I suppose, later to what the ultimate Christian message is. But uh, yes, it, one of the toughest things about pain, of course, is you look at other people who aren't going through it. And it's very easy to ask, why me, Lord? You know, when Jesus says to Peter, you know, you're going to have to die one day. And Peter's first instinct is, well, what about my friend John here? What, what's your plan for him? And of course, John wasn't going to be, be martyred in such a dramatic way as, as Peter. He lived to a ripe old age. And you just think, you know, that's the Bible telling us people will not have a fair apportion of suffering in their lives. That's part of, of the mystery that we enter into. And, and, and then you've got the, the problem of, of evil as opposed to the kind of the, almost the external thing of suffering. 
um, which can sometimes be completely unconnected or in no discernible way connected to our actions. But then there's this this issue of of evil or sin or whatever you want to call it. That's an internal problem. And and is there some sort of scale in that? And and how do we make sense of that? I think we need to compare. I mean, we we could call it natural evil. Um, where you have the evil that is endemic in creation, earthquakes, natural disasters, all that kind of thing that is not the responsibility of human sin. And then there's there's evil that comes from human sin, you know, sex trafficking, all of that kind of stuff. You could name the whole series of it, but we are victims of both. And the Bible deals with both. In fact, in the book of Job, um, you have this thing where in the early chapters of Job, um, when suffering is unleashed on Job's life, he has human evil. The Sabians are attacking him. You know, a group of warlords are attacking him. That's human evil. And then he has um, fire and wind thrown at him. That you know, so that there was a natural disaster aspect. And I think that's part of the teaching of the book. We face evils from both angles. You know, um, the natural disaster and the human moral evil. And I suppose to some extent. We, we can understand the human moral evil and its consequences easier than the natural evil because nobody seems to be to blame other than God himself for the natural evil of plate tectonics and, you know, cities on earthquake faults and all that kind of stuff. So it's good to have those two categories in your mind, but the Bible speaks about both of them and defines them both in different ways. Is, is that, does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's really helpful and really important to, to have that, that distinction. You mentioned um, you mentioned sin, and uh-huh. I think in this day and age, um, when we talk about sin, it seems so archaic, and it seems very. Um, we attribute it to very very serious crimes, or um, a lot of the time, I think I've actually heard it in relation to diets. <laughs> um, <laughs> but how then um, do we talk about sin? Um, because the way that you mentioned it, it sounded more like a state than like a um, a list of things that you do or you don't do. This is such a huge issue. I, I think sin is almost more misunderstood than the very concept of God. Um, we tend to think, society tends to think sin is the thing that we go to jail for. You know, if we've broken the objective law of the land, we go to jail. But if you haven't been put in jail, and if you don't break the law of the land, you're not a sinner. Um, The Bible's category for sin, unfortunately, is far, far bigger than that. Um, Sin is anything that doesn't reach the standard of the glory of God. And God is the sum of all perfections. God is ravishingly beautiful in his character. And sin is any deviation from God's character, from absolute perfection, which is why even the best person we could name on the planet, your your, your Mother Teresa type, um, even that best person is still a sinner who actually sins every moment of every day. And of course, sin is defined in the Bible by that key phrase, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself 100% of the time. So if we fall short even a little bit, from loving God with all our hearts all the time and loving our neighbors for ourselves all the time, that is sin. And so um, this is the huge problem. And of course, sin is not just something that is alive in the human heart that I want to go my own way and follow my own selfish desires rather than God's glory. But sin in a mysterious way impacts the whole of creation. And in that mysterious Genesis 3 story that we really need to get to grips with, um, mankind's sin is judged by God 
and it leads to thorns and thistles. It leads to earthquakes, famines, tornadoes. So, I mean, the wonderful thing is from a Christian point of view, in the future, the new world that God is planning, all of those things will be removed. So when we say that God's plan is ultimately to remove sin from the world, his plan is not just to stop people doing bad things. He is removing everything from the world that leads to its imperfection. So we will be left with a perfect new world in every dimension. So it's helpful to say sin is a much bigger category than we could possibly imagine. Yeah, and probably um, something that we could speak for hours and hours about as well, especially um, since Christians can be so known for their judgmentalism, despite the fact that as far as what you're saying and as far as what the Bible says, we're all sinful and we all um, fall short of that. So there's not really the space that um, a lot of Christians give to um, make ourselves feel better by making other people look more sinful. Well, well, precisely. And I think one positive aspect of one way of looking at it is um, sin is such a huge thing because of God's perfection. So it's anything that falls short of God's perfection. The positive side of that is that there is something perfect out there. There is a perfect God and a perfect future world possible, not a kind of a half perfect or 73% perfect world to come. There's a 100% perfect world to come, which unfortunately then says we're all falling short of that. But God can make us ready for it in the future world. If we didn't have this huge concept of sin, we wouldn't have something that's absolutely perfect. So we couldn't have a heaven if sin wasn't such a huge deal. Do you see what I mean? If sin is just disobeying the law of the land, you could be a bit of a nightmare person who never disobeys the law of the land, but you're okay. I don't want to live in a world where people are just okay. Um, God is perfect and he is waiting for a perfect world. He has done what it takes to be involved in a perfect world. That is why sin is such a huge category. And imagine how wonderful it will be when 100% of that huge thing called sin is totally removed from creation. That's really great to actually expand our mind and expand our horizon a little bit to change how we look at something like sin. Um, And it also, like you say, it, it expands our view on God as well, because we do tend to put God in, in a bit of a neat box and, and try and domesticate him a little bit, um, make him fit our categories. And on the topic of suffering, um, Stephen Fry talked a little bit about kind of using suffering as, uh, as an evidence or a disproof of at least a loving God or a powerful God. So I think you said something along the lines that God can be either all powerful or he can be loving. It can't be both. We just mentioned something about that. So how would you respond? Well, it's very interesting. I mean, you know, a lot of people were taken aback when Stephen Fry said it. A lot of Christians thought, oh, how do we answer this? Actually, what Stephen Fry was saying goes right back to the book of Job. The book of Job, the oldest book in the Bible, actually, answers these questions. Job's friends are saying to him, look, um, God is, is all-powerful and he is all-loving, so you must have done something wrong for your sin to be leading to this awful suffering. Um, It seems logical for us to say, well, if God is all powerful and he doesn't get rid of suffering, then he can't be all loving. If God is all loving and he doesn't get rid of all suffering, then he can't be powerful. He's just not able to. And of course the Bible's continued picture is God is both all powerful and all loving. 
So therefore, the easiest position to take is the atheist position of, well, um, God can't be who he says he is. But Job tackles this question head on. And fascinatingly, when you get to the end of the book of Job, God is telling off Job's simplistic friends who are saying, you know, Job, you must have sinned. Job saying, no, I haven't sinned. And of course, God vindicates Job and tells the counselors, don't be too simplistic about this idea of the problem of evil and a loving God. I can be loving, I can be all powerful and yet still allow evil for my own purposes. And then you get to the end, final chapters of Job, you think, right, God's going to give us the answer now to why he allows suffering. And he, he doesn't really. He doesn't give it, you know, here's my three points of why I allow suffering. He instead says, Job, look at the vastness of creation. Can you explain to me how the eagle flies? Can you explain to me how I create snow? Can you explain to me how the constellations work? And of course, every time it's no, no, you're too vast. You're too beyond my comprehension, God. And God then says, well, Job, if I'm too vast beyond your comprehension, um, you wouldn't understand, even if I explained to you all the depths of why I allow this to happen in my world or why I like that to happen. Just trust me, Job, for what you already know about me. You know that I'm a loving God because I've created a beautiful world. You know that I've looked after you. I've looked after your family. I've given you good things. Trust me on that basis and then allow uh, an aspect of your mind to say, this is mystery, why God allows suffering here, but I will still trust him. And of course, the central verse of Job, even if God slays me, still I will trust him. So trust God enough to say, for the things I don't understand, for the suffering that he allows, I trust that this mass of God, who is so much beyond my understanding, and this universe, which is mind-boggling, we're only beginning to understand the universe after thousands of years of studying it, um, trust God for those things that he is doing and allowing to happen that we could not understand, but that does not mean there's not a reason. Just because we can't think of a reason with our puny minds does not mean that God doesn't have a good reason for why he allows suffering. And of course, then we go immediately to the cross of Christ. We can't think of this without the cross of Christ. You know, you, you look at the cross and Jesus' own disciples are horrified. You know, I can't believe you're going to a cross. Peter tells them off for going to a cross because he just does not get, and he could not get at that stage, why God was allowing his own son, the most innocent man who ever lived, to suffer horribly in death by crucifixion, enter our pain and enter our suffering. And if we had been there five minutes before the cross, we'd have tried to stop it, tried to do everything we could to stop it from our limited human perspective. And yet if we had stopped it, where would we be today? We would have no answer to suffering, no answer to sin, no answer answer to death. And God has done all of that through the death and resurrection of his son. And it's taken us generations to work out exactly how that works and to apply it to our hearts. So that's just one microcosm of the huge question. Um, People couldn't understand what the cross was about. And yet God was doing his most magnificent work through some form of suffering and human evil being worked out that we couldn't possibly understand at the time. That is the end of our first part of this conversation on suffering and what has God got to do with it. We're going to continue our conversation again next week with Jeremy and I hope you can tune into that. If anything that we have spoken about in this podcast has struck a chord with you or caused you to think about something, uh, something that you'd like to talk about further, please don't hesitate to get in touch. Drop me an email at community at hebronaberdeen.org.uk or get in touch with us via our webpage, hebron-evangelical.co.uk. 
We look forward to you joining with us again next week for part two of the topic of suffering. What's God got to do with it? 